0: Hello and welcome to Silent Designers, a podcast about the under the radar design activity which goes on in so many organisations even though it's not seen its design or even necessarily done by designers. Every month we have an expert guest share their knowledge and the impact that designers had on what they do in their domain. I'm Steve Welsh from Innovate UK KTN And I'd like to introduce my co-host, Catherine Wildman, founder of B2B copywriting agency, Hayden Gray.
1: Hi, Steve. Thank you for the introduction. In today's episode of Silent Designers, we're going to be exploring the theme of knowledge transfer and design. And we're going to be talking to Marie Williams, chartered engineer, design lecturer, TEDx speaker, and founder of the social enterprise Dream Networks. Marie, thank you so much for joining us today. Really glad to be here. Thanks.
0: Yeah. Thanks, thanks for joining us. And what? How about you tell us a bit about yourself and the area of innovation you work in?
2: So I have a quite a varied career. So I actually am a senior chartered engineer. That's, a, I guess, a core cool part of my being. I am a mechanical engineer. I've been doing mechanical engineering associated work for the last 15 years. I started seven years in aerospace, which I actually love. I was in the innovation department. Um, I got a patent when I was in aerospace. Then I moved on to Nuclear fusion, very big change. Um, and that is due to someone actually knowing about my skill set and putting me forward for a new role. So it was actually me putting myself forward. Then I got pinched to go into software engineering, the interesting world. And I moved back to London. I was actually in Bristol. And then that's when I started to think actually, I've moved quite a few times. What is the core heart of what I can do? And that's when I started to develop and launch. The social enterprise called Dream Networks. And Dream Networks is a social enterprise which is not aerospace, not nuclear fusion, not software engineering, but it's play. It's looking at how can we address play inequality and provide more equitable play areas across the UK and actually the world. We work with communities, schools, and businesses to co-design play spaces in mainly marginalised communities. And yeah, I love it. Um, it kind of puts together all different parts of my skill sets. It's very collaborative. Very playful, as you can imagine. I'm often called a playful engineer and I probably am. Um, And yes, that's, I guess that's the main thing of where I'm at now and what I'm doing in terms of my social enterprise. But as you, as I said in the beginning, I'm also a design lecturer. So I focus on enabling students, mainly university to understand co-design. And I can talk about that a bit in in a bit, Um, also talk about inclusive design, design for equity. And just understand how they can use their skill sets to be able to be more innovative and designed for more social goods. And then one thing that's also quite important is I'm an academic. Um, I'm at the Bartlett, which is at the University College London. I'm in the department of Institute of Global Prosperity, it's a long name. Um, and in that department, I'm working on how to enable play
1: in refugee communities in Kenya. It's one heck of a CV. Marie, can I ask you how, just going back a couple of points, where you use design in the social enterprise and you talked about getting people to be to be involved in design. Why is that important to your innovation? How does that work? So I think the core heart of it is understanding that design
2: can be a response to a need. And often it may be for too many people, potentially it's an economic need, but there's a growing trend to focus on social and environmental needs and problem sets. So for us, it's actually recognising play spaces aren't around everywhere. <laughs> They're often in certain communities. I think about one in eight children in the UK have no access to a garden and they rely on a public play space. Actually, if you find, if you look into the data, you'll see the places that are more deprived. Those are the places that haven't got the public play spaces. So that's when what design is, the catalyst for change. So we started to think, actually, if we recognise this, limited play spaces, how can we enable them to occur? And there's two strings to that bowl. There's one actually understanding who invests in play spaces. So often typically it may be a local authority in an outside park, or it may be a property developer, or it may be uh, somebody really stay and they're investing in play spaces, but again, it's that whole issue of what has been designed in terms of planning and the structures that our society live in is often in more affluent areas, so you start to think actually who else can invest in play spaces? And we started to consider businesses and what businesses want to do in their environment, they want to improve children's lives. They want to improve wellbeing. Why not pitch them play? So we pitch them, how can you, through the way you work, influence the way play spaces are enabled, provided, and in, in reality designed systematically? And that's one key thing. So work with businesses and we provide them with a program where they're able to co-design play spaces with children. And that's, I guess, the most key part. <laughs> so co-design is a really, it's, it's not actually novel, it's, it's a really broad term. And co-design fundamentally says, actually, I'm going to understand the needs of the user and the stakeholder, and I'm going to put them in a central place in the design process, so I'm not going to focus on, oh, I think a play space would be great if it's got maybe brutalist architecture. I think just say, actually, no, this is what I think is fundamentally important, understanding what the children need we co design of them, and we say that actually they're going to be our design partners. So you have a designer, you may have a researcher, you may have a volunteer who is part of the business who are supporting their play spaces. And the children go through a typically it could be eight sessions, sometimes smaller, sometimes six sessions. The design workshops where they're going through a design thinking process, um, where they're trying to understand what are the play needs. They're doing things that are relevant to their age, fun, they're using crafts, they're using kinesthetic learning, so they're using their body to understand what's going on in the play space. And they are actually becoming the designers. They actually are the design partners in their own right. And that's really fundamental if we're considering skills development in the UK. We know that there's a growing need for more and more design jobs. Um, design brings out critical thinking, it gives up problem solving, it's analytical, it's collaborative, it's empathetic. And children as young as seven work with earth and they're able to say, actually, I love play, I really design play space, but oh no, I have to stop and think, who else needs to play space? What is their needs? Where are their gaps? But, yeah. In summary, the co-design is really putting the child or the user at the heart of the design process and really, re- really focusing on giving them agency and control and power. And that's the heart of what we do.
0: Wow. That's, uh, there's a lot to unpack there. Actually, quite a lot I'd like to ask more about, but one thing I'm tempted by, and I know it sounds like the term social enterprise, I guess does what it says on the ten. Uh, but what, what does it feel like? What what attracts you to working that way and what does that really mean for the people working in it compared with other types of business?
2: Yeah, so I came from very much the corporate world. Um definitely enjoy it and it's good that I said in the beginning that I'm an engineer and I focus a lot on research and development and tech and I love learning new things and it was all really exciting. Um, and then when I started to do social enterprise, I thought, thought about the business. I thought, actually, I really care about businesses or people who maybe were previously in my position being enabled to support children and support, enabling more equitable access to play. So when you have a look at different structures, you could have maybe a charity and typically not saying all, often charities rely on grants. So applying for grants to be able to enable them to I guess, survive and be able to affect good in society when the government's not doing it. Oh, I won't get political right now, but the government's not doing it. But social enterprises, what I think is great about it, it's like a business of a power to put like heart. So your assets are locked into social goods. So when you sign up and you apply with company house to be a social enterprise, you have to say, actually, these are the key areas I'm going to focus on. Our area is actually education. We do play, but education, because of that we design, replay play and we enable children to be educated and develop their skills. And a lot of it is knowledge transfer. That's a really key to us, so we decided to be a social enterprise, so we will be business orientated, so we're getting we're aiming to the majority of our funding from corporates or from sales, but that doesn't have to be true. Many social enterprises thrive and do well with grants, but we're trying to say we want to not just rely on grants. Again, going back to the whole part of social good, enabling businesses to do it. we really trying to sell our services. Another word, sell, seems a bit odd when you're like, this is a social good, but it really does matter because social value is a hot topic a lot of um, corporate companies in the UK, if you're thinking of more international market, they may be using ESG. So think about the environment, social governance, it's a hot top topic. A lot of companies have funding towards it. We should sell them the programs. And again, that's why we go towards being like a business for social good
1: equals social enterprise. So good. Um, I just have this vision of the workshops. Is it the case that the the academics and the designers are learning from the children? can you see like the talent of the future coming through
2: yeah I, that, I really love that question it, it is definitely a two-way street um and I think it sometimes as uh they are volunteer you may be maybe a graduate engineer or graduate architect or you may be working and maybe be working with someone who's senior architect in your team and you come to this workshop and it's like a level playing field you're both like oh my the kids my chairs so small <laughs> and then the children have like uh, they sometimes can have quite a, I really need to creative being, doing co-design really, I think enables adults to see the creativity in children, but also provides them with the tools to open up their creative potentials. So the fact that they're able to be there and the example, I remember there was one time in the really early beginning bits of the social enterprise, when I came and did my workshops, which I miss. and, And I remember there was a boy who had an idea and he was like, yeah, well, I like skating and I think we should create a skate park. Be like, oh gosh, there's no space for a skate park. It's something like doing an open, open question. So, as opposed to saying that doesn't work, I'm like, okay, where would this um, skate park go? And he I had an answer. Um, How do you fund it? He had an answer. And like, what materials we could use? He had an answer. And I was like, okay, well, right, let's think about why we can't do it. And then we had to like, have a different mindset. Actually, Let's do some costing. And obviously, it's eight, so didn't use the word costing. And we helped him understand actually this would take up a, a lot of space in the play, in the playground. Um, and then also it wouldn't meet be the majority of does needs. And then he had another idea, which was a great one, so like a dancing depth that he thought was really great. And he pitched it to his team and he did like kind of modeling of it, not just him, him and his team. And then we were able to develop that, but the skate park, we weren't able to. So it's so again, we were able to listen to what they said and then actually realize a lot of it is creative and could work. And how can we improve it, enhance their ideas if needed, or give them more, I guess, information to help them actually refine it or realize this is a no-go, which is like the key of innovation. You know, you can have a great idea, it can work, but you know, sometimes requirements, that's the engineering coming in place. There's requirements to come in that, ah, uh, that's not going to work.
0: I, yeah, that's great. I was thinking about, uh, this, this question of knowledge transfer. I always think we've, we, we need new words. For some of these things, um, maybe that, that as a concept, maybe it's different things to different people. But what, what, how would you talk about knowledge transfer?
2: Mm, I think it's that's it's very contextual, and I might actually talk about my work I do academically. So the PhD I'm working on um, is in Kenya. It's working with Congolese refugees and Kenyans, and in that environment often the work that people do especially if they come from the uk whether they're african or not i'm actually african i'm british nigerian and maybe african or whether you are uh, like a more typical british and um, stereotypical person to an african um when somebody goes into that space i think they often feel like okay these are the beneficiaries this is how we can support them this is what we're gonna what they're gonna learn from us This is the data we're gonna gather but for me one of the key heart of the work I've been doing with the PhD is recognizing that knowledge transfer means, I guess, deprioritizing myself and being humble to open up a space that enables those particular people I'm working with. For example, a Congolese refugee who decides he wants to apply to be a local researcher with, the, with my PhD work. He comes to interview, he's got some ideas, but maybe he's got limited english as opposed to me saying actually he's english is limited i think actually no he is the right person in the place to be able to understand the needs of the people he can gather the knowledge what do i need to do to deprioritize what i do in terms of my methods how can i humble myself how can i create more appropriate tools to enable him to be the person who gathers that knowledge who comes up with ideas with my support so yeah i think that's kind of academic, academic, but it's a lot of work that actually talks about like decolonizing design and changing people's mindset about what design is. And often the way we design it excludes. So in the academic work, it's definitely thinking actually through the way I'm designing the methods I'm using, the language being used, how I, am I enabling those people to be included in a manner that is equitable, that actually gives them support they need to be able to beyond thrive, excel. And maybe I'm not even needed. I'm like, I get taken out of the place, but don't tell my supervisor because obviously you're meant to do your PhD yourself.
0: No, No, uh, we'll remember that, but that's wonderful. And that, that's so true. I think from, from things that we've seen that if you can be that open in both directions, the thing you get in the middle that arises from what you're doing wasn't something that anybody thought of in the first place. It's like the idea came out of nowhere, but it really came out of being open to that inclusion with people where they can bring.
2: Yeah, I would agree. And I think even just the systems in place, I think sometimes people say good or bad things about design thinking or the double diamond, but actually in my work, in terms of the social enterprise and even the PhD, I used either the five steps for design thinking. So just for the audience so you think about how you can empathize with the environment with the environment, and also the people to understand the problem space Then you're able to dev- define what the problem with space is and then you're able to come up with ideas then you are able to prototype and then test so those five stages those because that process is available and it's you know well used when I'm doing work with children in co-design in the social enterprise or when I say I'm doing it well when the people who are volunteering and the team are doing it It is built on that as a bedrock, but we recognize, you know, sometimes children might have ideas in the empathy stage. They may have been asking their friends a question or watching, looking at their space and they've got an idea. So you don't say, actually, no, sorry, the process is this way. We actually know, like it's supposed to be intuitive anyway, but you can empathize, understand the need and come up with ideas and then come back to define, a bit similar to the example that I gave you about the boy with the skateboard. And then when I'm thinking about the work we did with the academic work in terms of understanding how to enable play through co-design in Kitengela, in Kenya. We use the double diamond ones. So that's the four stage ones. So that's one that I a lot of people know in design council, but again, we use that. And for actually, how does that work in the context that we're working in? And if we're able to consider how we're going to discover what tools are typically used and you can like get that from online and numerous like literature. And then that can be like a toolbox and it can inform what you're doing. It's been able to also say actually this is the toolbox, but I will can definitely change it because if you go in there blind, you could really not come up with anything. A lot of conversation, and probably the engineer in me
1: wants something to occur. (laughs) That's amazing. It's I suppose it's being open to the different ways of working, isn't it? Different frameworks and processes. Mm. Marie, we're coming to the end of our time today. I could talk to you for hours, but I I know that Steve has one more question to ask.
0: I've got the hardest question of the session, so I hope you're ready for this, but as an innovator then, if you could crystallise everything into one piece of advice to people wanting to incorporate design, just one piece of advice, what would your first thought be?
2: Good question. Um, the first thought that came to my mind was actually don't focus on being doing something new or doing something novel. Um, if I think about that more, I think often as in, in innovation, we think actually what's new, what can be cool. And I remember when I first wanted to do this social enterprise, a friend of mine who works in IT, he said to me, oh, I was te- I was talking about my idea. And he was like, it sounds great, blah, blah, blah. Then I started researching it. I don't know other people are doing things similar. And I was like, I'm dead. Can't do it anymore. It's not innovative. I didn't use that word. Um, I was like, it's not going to work. And he said that actually, it's not about having something new, it's what you bring to the table and what problem you're addressing. And I think that's the key thing. You know, we can focus on being novel or being new, but actually if you understand the public space, be able to challenge assumptions, able to provide the tools to enable more people to engage in the design process, effectively co-design, what you get will be innovative. It will address a social challenge, but it won't necessarily look brand new.
0: I love that. Yeah. Thank you. And we say that sometimes, don't we, that uh, sometimes innovation isn't about new it can be about new to me. Hmm. But anyway, listen, thank you so much. Uh, I've certainly, it's been an inspiration to talk to you today. Thank you for what you shared with us. And um, so th- this podcast has been produced by the Design in Innovation Network, which is sponsored and supported by Innovate UK. If you want to find out more about design in innovation, and gain access to other interesting people, just come and sign up to the network, and we'll see you next time on Silent Designers.